Other question. Hey, I'm Clayton. I'm from Liberty University, 20 years old, and I'm looking to start a church after I get out of college. What's the best advice you can give me? Why do you want to start a church when there's so many churches that need pastors and you're so young? So I want to start a church specifically for the metal scene, which sounds super weird, but there's a very unreached group in the metal scene to where if you use metal music to bring them in, you can disciple them and then send them out to concerts. Okay, so you can imagine a bubble over my head. All the things Mark is imagining he might mean by the word metal scene. (laughs) <laughs> like metal that is not invisible. Um, metal that is used in... Yeah. Sorry, I use... I guess you mean like... Metal community, people who like metal music, tattoos, music. gauges, so not aggressive... The, not, the, not metal. Yeah, not like that. Like Love Steel metal like looks music. cool. All right. <laughs> this is clearly one for our culturally aware Al or maybe... <laughs> Oh, you look like you don't know. You know all this stuff, and we know you know because we listen to the briefing every morning. Matt, this is clearly for you. Is it? No, I think so. What, what about me right now? Screen. You don't see HB reaching for it. How do you contextualize metal music? Um, so, I, man, brother, I don't want to discourage you in any way for your heart to reach that demographic and love those people. One, I, I don't want anybody to plant a church 20 years old right out of college. I, I... I want brothers who go and sit under and train and make somebody else look good for a long time. And I thought you th- used to be part of a movement that was all about 20-year-olds planning churches. Yeah, and well, and then I became president of that network, and then we moved to this direction. And just just um, wanting to be clear. So, just wanting to be clear. For the record, like when a, when a 20-year-old, and, and this is no knock on any 20-year-old, when a 20-year-old plants a church... The amount of coaching, training, all of that post-launch that takes place is endless. When, if, if you'll just go put in the time with faithful brothers on the ground somewhere, and then, man, you, you take that outreach to metalheads, and you love them and pray for them and encourage them and, and tell them, sorry, the, the music's lame here, but, you know, it's going to glorify Jesus. And it, so I, I just want to lovingly discourage you from planting a church at 20 right after college as highly contextualized as you've just described. Find a way to love that community, pray for them, share the gospel with them, and then embed in a church that's serious about the gospel, welcoming enough that when they walk in with green mohawks all tatted up with a skull on their neck, that they're not going to freak out everybody there, but they're going to be warmly greeted and welcomed and loved and then get to work. And then let's see what the Lord does in five, six, seven years. That, that, would, be, that would be my advice to you. Um, I don't have the, uh, the ability to speak to the metal scene real specifically. Uh, You're I being do know, modest. I do know. I, I, but I do know something, but... My main response is, is just one of I loving concern about the idea. And what I mean by that is I would say the same thing when I hear about the country music church. Um, 
or the cowboy church, which, by the way, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying I've got a concern about the church should be made up of that. I'm trying to find the book of Acts where you would start the ex-church. And, and so that's just a hitch in, in my concern and in my spirit about that. I think the gospel church should, with intentionality and, and skill and, and commitment, try to reach out to subcultures. I just worry about a church that is trapped in a subculture. So that's just one offering. Brother, your name again? Clayton. Clayton. And are you in a good church right now? Yes, sir. Uh, and is that church... Is that pastor involved in your decision and your thinking? Yeah. Okay. Hopefully he's going to give you some of the same kind of advice that Matt and Al are giving you. Yeah, great. Great. Well, just keep listening to your current pastor and let him help you do that good thing you want to do. Wonderful thing. Uh, another question, uh, comment for any of the folks up here. Uh, Logan, Jason, you got to be like out there and ready and looking for them, and you know. You're a good man, Jason. You're 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 doing a good job. Uh, my name is Luke from Oklahoma. Luke, uh, where in Oklahoma? And what church? Tishomingo First Baptist Church. That's right between Ravia and Mill Creek. Wait, sorry, you got to. Uh, Tishomingo. Tishomingo. Okay. Closer to your mouth, please. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, each of you have uh, varying levels of education. Would you talk about as pastors continue on in, the, in their ministry, how they should pursue that, how they should make a decision about when maybe they've, uh, I don't know what the right phrase is, had enough maybe, and how far they should keep going? Your name again? Luke. Luke, what, what's your education? Uh, right now I'm in the master's program at, at Midwestern. Okay, MDiv? Uh, MTS right now. MTS, okay. And the genesis of your question, is this for really for yourself? Uh, yes and no, sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Matt? Um, <laughs> I, HB? <laughs> <laughs> You want tools. Like, I, there might be some disagreement up here. I, I think what you want is tools. If you've got the tools to exegete the text and you've got tools to understand Christian history and the, the aspects of what it takes to shepherd well, love well, study well, and preach well, then, then the degree itself, uh, I think, is secondary. Um, and so the way I've always, and we're not, we're pro-education at the Village Church. We've got a partnership with Southern Seminary. We do lay theological education that is our lay people reading Bobnik. And, I mean, we're, we're serious about people understanding the depths of the story of God as revealed in his word. And then they can get 21 hours from Southern in that process by adding some work onto it. So I don't ever want to sound anti-seminary because I think most people need it. But if you are a self-starter, a voracious reader, serious about growing in all the aspects necessary to faithfully serve a local church, you don't want to hit 40 and run out of stuff to say, right? Uh, and so you need the tools and the skills to dig deeply uh, across the, the genres of Scripture. 
Um, and so what, what I've tried to coach guys is, man, you, you've got to get to that place where, where you, if, if you needed to preach through the book of Exodus for 12 months, you could do that. You could dive in, you could say, you could preach it faithfully, you could work with the Hebrew, you could kind of see, you could understand kind of historically how it's been looked at. Um, and, and so you need those tools. Uh, and here's what I found, like some guys get their masters and go on to get demons and still don't have those tools. Um, and so I don't know that the school itself is what you need to be looking at as much as a constant, where do I get frustrated as a minister because I lack skill? Uh, where, is it that I don't know what to do with this Hebrew word or I know just enough Hebrew to be dangerous? Uh, or do I not know, can I not use logos and conjugate a, 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 a Greek word? Or, you know, it, that, that's what I'm always trying to tell guys. Get the skills you need to faithfully do this. And the degrees are secondary. That would be how I'd answer. Thank you, I love nine at nine, Mark. <laughs> no, there is nothing I would add to that. That is a great answer. Albert. Yeah, there's something I'd add to that. Um, <clears throat> I'd even subtract some. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm going to agree with Matt that the degree is not the thing. It's, uh, it's preparation for ministry. But, uh, but degrees aren't accidental. And uh, so you look through Christian history, and you look on this platform, there's some people who have enormous gifts and, uh, and ability. And, uh, you know, I always have Charles Spurgeon thrown at me, which is great. So if you grow up at eight learning how to read in a library of 1,400 Puritan volumes in your grandfather's attic, you might not need seminary. Um, you do need to meet me afterwards and tell me about that. But... You know, that, that's just a different situation. Throughout Christian history, I'll just fast forward to the Reformation. The theology of the Reformation actually only endured long where there was a formally educated clergy. And I think there's a reason for that because theological education is not just about how to preach. It's theological education, uh, which is making you a preacher, which is two different things. Hopefully they go together in one person. Uh, but uh, I was talking to a pastor the other day, and I realized he's preaching Nestorianism. He, he was a heretic, and he did not mean it. What's Nestorianism? Well, it has to do with whether or not Christ is of two natures, fully divine, fully human, whether they are mixed together or not, and whether they are separated totally as if they're two persons in one. And what's the right answer? The right answer is... <laughs> Christ is fully human and fully divine in ways that are undivided, but absolutely united in one person, not two persons in one. Okay. So that matters a whole lot as to whether you're preaching the Christ of Scripture, which is the early church had to figure out and all the rest. What, the point is that you're not going to get that uh, without someone making you actually study and read and, and be prepared to talk uh, in, and, and answer questions. And uh, the best metaphor I know is if, if you are going to practice medicine, I, I'll put it that way. Uh, if you're going to need a doctor, which I have, I want a doctor who didn't just read medicine. And, and look, by the way, there could be some excellent surgeons out there that just did it. They're autodictacs. They, they just taught themselves. I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying if I got to find a surgeon, I'm not, I don't have time to find that guy. I want the guy who went to a medical school I recognize 
that is the school I recognize, not the guy. And, uh, and, I, and I want lots of certificates on the wall. Why? Because I want it to show how serious he was about becoming a surgeon before he's going to operate on me. So, by the way, I agree with Matt. The degree is not the thing. But degrees aren't accidental. And the Christian church has thrived on an educated ministry. And if, if you're looking for an educated X or Y in other arenas, why in the church do you believe you need less? But that, this gets back to another thing that, that Matt and, and HB both, both demonstrate. I, I look back to what I knew when I graduated with a PhD in systematic and historical theology. I'm amazed by what I didn't know. Because life is a long learning process. And so the degree is not the end, no matter what the degree is. And so, all that to say, I, I, I was kidding. I would subtract and add to what Matt said because it's just, it's just a conversation that we shouldn't be reluctant to have. Uh, it's not just because I'm president of the seminary. I'm president of the seminary because I believe this. I don't believe yeah. this because I'm president of the seminary. I totally agree with that answer, too. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Matt. I'm from First Baptist Charlotte, uh, Texas. It's just south of San Antonio. Um, yeah, the, it exists. Um, I, uh, I'm 26. I'm a uh, part-time youth pastor. I'm a full-time educator, teach uh, high school social studies. I'm a city council member. I have a wife and a child and um, see, you know, gentlemen like you who serve the Lord faithfully and have a lot of other hats to wear as well. Um, sometimes I... Uh, just want to kind of see if I should be doing all of that. Um, even though I, in the moment and the times, I, I definitely feel that it, it's God's will and his blessing on my life. But uh, I guess some insight as to how, uh, how you juggle. Um, I haven't hit a, a breakdown point, uh, thank the Lord. Um, but uh, sometimes it uh, seems like it's not too far away. Um, and, you know, being 26, I, I definitely don't want to phase out of ministry because I've overdone myself. Um, and, uh, you know, um, seminary is also, uh, you know, on the radar. Um, so a lot of things going on. Just kind of want to see what, what your advice and uh, insight is. First name again? Matt. Matt, uh, I think that's a great question, and that's a great question for you to ask the pastors in your church that know you because there are so many factors that we could give from our experience, which are going to be kind of generic answers. Yeah. So I want to affirm that as a question. It's a really good question to ask. You should be asking that question. And you should be asking that question before you break down. So I mean, that's, yeah. that's good too. But I would just go back and ask it to pastors who know you and know your life, know your personality. Cool. Great. Can I just say one thing? Though? Please. Yeah, I, because I, now I'm going to be Episcopal and just speak as a bishop and say <laughs> that uh, in Baptist terms, I'll, I'll, I just want to say, I heard you say something about being a father of small children. I just want to tell you, you have no idea the effect of what you are doing now on your children that shows up later. So that's just a word of warning, just, to, just friendly to say, you really can't tell right now, but I agree with Mark. Your pastors are in a much better position than we are to advise. And Al mentioned children because he knows that in my congregation today, there was a couple that had their second child, their first male child. His name is Henry. And I just want to point out Benjamin's a boy too. Oh, the second male child. <laughs> I know my congregation well. <laughs> so good having a small church. And, uh, and uh, the, uh, the, he was born today, and he has to do with Al because his name is Henry Albert. 
Because it's uh, your grandson. My grandson, Kate, Katie and Riley. Born today. Henry Albert Barnes. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah. Yep, over here. Logan. Yes, I'm the other Logan uh, and a tattooed metalhead uh, by coincidence. Uh, so I have a, a question. You can answer this. Or yeah, any in church you? and where you are. Oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, planning a church, we'll, Lord willing, in Iceland, but right now Northern Virginia, um, formerly from Mississippi. Uh, where in Northern Virginia? Dumfries, Quantico Dumfries. area. Okay. Yeah, Pillar Church, and Dumfries. And where in Iceland? Reykjavik. Okay. Yeah, so hopefully that. Um, but my question's in, uh, in relation to recent um, MLK 50 conversations that have happened because of what Pastor Thabiti has said about um, brothers uh, who are doing great work, some who are on the stage preaching towards racial reconciliation and um, how as white evangelical churches have failed, I'm from Mississippi, um, to stand with our black brothers. Uh, and the pushback that's happened with people thinking that that type of conversation is somehow pushing subtle social Marxism, how do we interact with those conversations and love our brothers who want to say that that's the, the message? Um, or, or in general, just say something to that effect when we try to live out Christian convictions and, and Christ-like love. Like, how, how do we respond, either publicly or privately? Logan, you got four of us up here. Just pick, pick, pick somebody. Matt. Um, I, on this issue in particular, I need to make my world small. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is pastor the village church to a higher ethnic IQ. The, the chance that we'll ever truly be a multicultural, multi-ethnic church is is slim because of where we are. We don't need to feel bad about that or guilty about that, but I'm, I want to do as best I can to increase our ethnic IQ. I, I know who I am. I know what I believe. I know what we're trying to do, and so do my elders. And so just because some guy with a blog or who, who's really angry at the world for some reason wants to really press into this. I, I'm either going to mute or block, brother. I mean, I just am. I don't. So, well, in, unless, unless you reasonably want to have a conversation, then the whole world changes. Um, but I, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time trying to convince the outside world that I'm not a Marxist. I'm just not. One, because many have already made up their minds that I am what I am. In fact, um, I got to do this great interview with Vice News on Sunday. That whole crew was amazing. And her opening line to me, uh, Gianna Tabani, said, hey, I noticed on Twitter you're both a progressive feminist and a patriarchal oppressor today. Which one of those do you actually lean towards? <laughs> so I was like, well, if, if I'm a progressive now, it's because the right has moved so far right that they've blown past Jesus. So I don't, I have not changed. I am preaching books of the Bible. I am sharing the gospel with my neighbors. I am, so I'm just, I don't feel like I can win out there. So I'm not trying to, I'm trying to love well the people God's put in front of me. So I need to make the world small. And if pulpit and pen wants to put me on blast, then I'm just going to let him put me on blast. I, I checked my Twitter account last night. I figured out how to do this. I didn't know how to do this. I've tried to figure out how many people I've blocked. I blocked 76 folks. I don't know if that's many, but yeah. <laughs> Keeping my world small. All right. 
I don't block people for disagreeing with me. I block them for, for being like sarcastic and dismissive of people's motives when they twist things. I think, yeah, I don't have time for that. That's just, yeah, no, that's a waste. Yeah.